God, I thank you for worship. And oh God, I can't wait till we get back and do it all together. I miss worshiping together. But God, we worship you today. For the next little while, ask that you'd help us. Help me to share what you put on my heart. Help it to go in for each person, be relevant and meaningful. Thank you so much, God. Amen. Over the past several sermons, um, both Hanny and I have included that an important goal for City River is that we need to tell other people about Jesus. So today I'm going to make um, that the primary focus of my entire teaching, and I hope it'll help you a little bit to feel maybe a bit more confident or have some new ideas about how to share Jesus with other people. Telling people about Jesus is often referred to as evangelism. Now, I've been in church for a long time, and I know the word evangelism can be an intimidating word for many people. For a lot of people, especially if you grew up in church in North America, and maybe other places, evangelism implies some kind of preaching or telling people that they are going to hell, have lots of arguments, and basically not something that's very comfortable for most people to do. If the word evangelism is uncomfortable for you, or frightening, or intimidating, I have good news for you, uh, pun intended. A lifestyle of biblical evangelism can be encouraging for you and the people who experience your message. I guess said another way, evangelism doesn't have to be a bad word. It can be something that can be really encouraging. Now, there's a number of evangelism models that are available. You can go buy books on how to do it. But until, uh, until more recently, most evangelism models involved trying to convince people they needed to accept Jesus as their savior so they could go to heaven. And all they needed to do was pray a specific prayer, go to church, and be a good person. If anybody has tried to do if you will, traditional evangelism models recently, you found out that doesn't work very well today. It works even less well for the generations younger than us. But a lifestyle of biblical evangelism can be encouraging and the people who hear your message can be encouraged by it. But it's hard today to use the old methods. It's why most of us don't want to evangelize. It's why we don't do it effectively and why we don't do it very often. I suggest there is one model that is distinctly biblical and distinctly effective. So today I'm going to teach about that biblical model for evangelism. 
here's what I'd like you to try to remember if you don't remember anything else. Functional, maturing Christians regularly evangelize by giving people an experience with God's love, presence, and power. I'll say it again. Functioning, mature Christians regularly evangelize, and they do it by giving people an experience with God's love, presence, and power. Now, I want to say right here, I'm not saying that other models of evangelism don't work or that they're wrong. Hey, if you're telling people about Jesus and it works for you, that's awesome. Keep on doing it. But I'm sharing this because most people don't regularly tell other people about Jesus. They don't evangelize. And we need a plan. And maybe today will help you with that. I suggest there are three necessary qualities for biblical evangelism. And that's what I'm going to talk about for a few minutes. Number one, biblical evangelism is a lifestyle, not an event. It's a lifestyle. If you have your Bibles or your, it's on your phone, wherever it is, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. While you're turning, um, we're going to look at all three of the, um, if you will, kind of role models of what Jesus said to his disciples just before he left, because we can get something out of each one of them, I think. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Still see a couple people clicking or flipping pages. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says this. Then Jesus came to the disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you pardon me, to the very end of the age. One of the most direct inputs into evangelization comes from this passage. Jesus first told his disciples, and by the way, are there any disciples here today? Few people are. The rest of you have your hands tied behind your back, I suppose, right? Jesus told his disciples, <clears throat> go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what's interesting to me, and maybe to you, is that a number of translations and even the Greek word go indicate at least a potential translation of, therefore, as you are going, make disciples. We've tended to look at evangelism as I go and do this evangelism thing with somebody, and then I resume the rest of my life. But Jesus is communicating to us that as we go, as you go about your day, you go to the work, you go to the grocery store, you go to recreation, 
You're at home with guests in your family. As you go, make disciples. Now, it is great when we can bring someone to church and they accept Jesus at church. But that doesn't happen very often anymore. A lot of people in our culture don't want to come to church. They've had bad experiences or they've heard bad things about it. But that's okay. Think about all of the Bible accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. Think about all the encounters when anybody came to be a follower of Jesus. Not one of them received Jesus in the temple. People became followers on the streets, in people's houses, on the beach. There you go, Eleni. You could lead people to Jesus on the beach. That's just to name a few. And I don't believe that's an accident that of all the people that came to know Jesus, none of them, it's recorded, got saved in temple. It was all as people were going about their life. I think that's important for us to get. And that can't be an accident. Biblical evangelism occurred as they were going. Now, as Toronto and Canada have become more secular, it's becoming more and more difficult to invite people to church. They don't want to come to a church building. So as you and I go about our daily activities, we are literally walking through our evangelism and encounter areas. Just where you go. It's not something we say, okay, I'm going to stop my regular life. I'm going to go over here and do this thing called evangelism with this person. And then I'm going to be done and come back. No, it's in the life flow. It's a normative part of how we do living. And in case all this sounds, still sounds intimidating, don't worry. In verse 20, Jesus promises he's always going to be with us while we're doing the evangelism wherever that evangelism might be. Maybe that's a little bit hopeful, but we'll talk, let's talk some more. The second point I think that's really important is biblical evangelism is offering people a relational choice. It's not signing on the dotted line to follow a bunch of rules. Evangelism is at its core offering people a relational choice to be with Jesus or to follow some other belief system, philosophy, or idea. Turn to Luke. So we're going to look at Luke's version of Jesus' final words. Chapter 24, verses 46 to 49. Luke 24, verses 46 to 49. Jesus told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, for me, there are two highlights from Luke's account as it relates to evangelism. First, the disciples were witnesses of all the things that they'd seen over the past three years. When they went out to expand the kingdom, they had firsthand knowledge and observation of what they were going to be sharing about. All the things they saw with Jesus, all the interactions they had. When Jesus sent them out with the 70, they got to see all this stuff and experience it. Being witnesses of these things really matters a lot. Their testimony was one of the most powerful and impacting things they could share. For instance, in, in John chapter 9, and you can go read it later, there was a man who was born blind, and he was healed. The Pharisees questioned him, trying to figure out how could this guy do this stuff? Who, you know, who, who did all this thing? And specifically, who healed him? They wanted to know who could do such a thing as to heal a person born blind. The healed man replied this to the, the teachers and Pharisees. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But this one thing I do know. I was blind and now I see. The power of testimony is impactful, even if we don't know all the theological arguments or where every verse is found. Our testimony of our encounter and the encounters that we've given other people are significant to communicating and evangelizing to people. I was trying to tell a friend of mine what I did when I went to Hong Kong. That was a couple of years ago now, just, for, just before COVID hit. And he didn't really get it. He goes to a very high church that doesn't hold a high value necessarily on actually using scripture or, or practicing all of what the Bible tells us to do. So when I was trying to tell him, he just didn't understand it. Well, by the time I got back from Toronto from the last visit, I'd received several texts and email testimonies about what God did for people. So I couldn't explain it to him. I said, I'm going to give him testimonies. So I had him in my phone. We were driving someplace. I said, here, read this. This will help you understand what I do when I go, when I went to Hong Kong. He read them all. It took him about 20 minutes to read them all. And he was really quiet sitting there and driving. I'm going, okay, God, this is really bad or this is really good, but I think it's really good. Finally, he said, I do not even have a grid of understanding to know how these things can happen that these people wrote about. But there are so many, they must be true. God must really do the things, those things. For people today. There wasn't any preaching. There wasn't any telling about going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. There wasn't any kind of inputs other than here are some testimonies of people who experienced God. What is your testimony? How have you developed your testimony? Can you share your testimony with other people? Can you pick out 
a testimony out of all of the experiences of your life, have you learned how to pick out a testimony that specifically applies to what the person needs to hear? Can you do it? Can you do your testimony, the part that you want to share in two or three minutes? Because most of the time you got to do it quick. Sometimes you're sitting over coffee and it can be a little bit longer. But if you're standing in the grocery store line, it needs to go quick. Testimony, I would suggest, is our best and most impacting evangelism tool. People can argue theology. People can argue understandings about God and all that kind of stuff. But it's really hard to argue with a person's testimony. Our cat Mia just jumped off my lap. Apparently I was moving a little too much. She sits on my lap as a testimony of God's healing. And I know I shared this with you, but I've shared it with other people too, that I was EpiPen allergic to cats. If I was in a room with a cat for 15 minutes, I had to go to the hospital. Now the cat likes to sit on my lap more than she sits on Mary's lap. I think it's because I feed her now. My testimony is that God healed me from severe allergies. And people can disagree with what I say about who Jesus is, but hey, I can breathe in places where I couldn't breathe before. Testimony is our best and most impacting evangelism tool. Because you know what? In one way or another, every one of us was blind and now we can see. One other point about lifestyle evangelism from this. Not everyone is going to do evangelism in the same way. You can't like have a book or something and just say, hey, everybody do this. We're not made the same way. Not everyone is going to do evangelism the same way. Now, most of you know about the five functions in the church, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. These five functions can often work like a personality type. There are characteristics that each person is going to do depending on their fivefold function and what they're doing. Each function is distinct and different. So each function is likely to do evangelism <clears throat> a little bit different. So I'll give you an example. I'm sorry if this, this is a little embarrassing for the other two people I'm going to use for this because you don't like to get pointed out because neither of you like getting pointed out, but you guys are really distinct. And so I'll be nice. Here's an example of three different people having three different functions and doing evangelism three different ways. Elena, you all know her, has a primary evangelistic function. That woman can walk up to anybody, anywhere, at any time, and start talking with them and just share about Jesus or whatever else is going on. I'm in awe of that. That is so not me. But she's comfortable doing that. It works for her. And that's how she evangelizes. She can just say, hey, do you know about Jesus? 
or she can talk and it comes up. The people who are evangelist function tend to be really good at that. I, on the other hand, am primarily a teacher function. It's really hard for me just to walk up and initiate conversation with strangers. I've had to be very intentional to learn how to do that. I've had to overcome a lot, and I still got a lot of overcoming to do to really get comfortable with it. But the way I engage with people is most often through questions. Ask people questions if they're interested, if they engage, I'm encouraged to try a little bit more. And all the time I'm waiting for Holy Spirit inputs. But my evangelism method is to have a little bit of time with somebody and ask a question. Very different from a, um, <coughs> pardon me, very different from someone like Elena who just talks to anybody. Most people in the church, the largest percentage, are pastoral function people. They evangelize different too. Sunil is primary, primarily a pastoral function. She is a great and genuinely caring listener. People are comfortable talking with her. And they often tell her all kinds of things they wouldn't tell other people. Lots of details. And that's how she connects with them. And through them sharing and her listening and her being able to talk, she's able to share with Jesus with them. It's a lot longer process most of the time, but it works for her. All three are different and none of them are wrong. Every way is right for each of the three of us. And I would suggest that we can discover what our particular function is like, and we're going to evangelize out of that rather than trying to follow a one-fits-all pattern that's often done and has been done in churches. You can customize evangelism to fit your personality, your gift mix, and how you're most comfortable sharing who Jesus is to you. How would you be most comfortable bringing a Holy Spirit encounter to someone that you come into contact with as you're going along through life? What do you do as you are going? The second account from Luke's, the second highlight from Luke's account is Holy Spirit power. Look back at verse 49 again of Luke 24. Jesus said, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus said, stay where you're at until you get Holy Spirit power. Evangelism, no matter what function you have, is way easier when the Holy Spirit shows up. When you get that insight from God to say, do this or pray for that, it works a lot better. Now, we can only give people an encounter if we've had encounters ourselves. For instance, Peter and John, when they were walking for the, to the temple and a beggar asked them, a, a lame beggar who couldn't walk, asked them, hey, can, can you give me some money? because that's kind of what beggars do. 
they responded, we don't have any money, but what we have, we're going to give to you. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man walked away because of Holy Spirit power. What do you have from Holy Spirit that you can give to people? And if your answer is, well, I don't know that I have anything, then that just means you haven't explored it because the Holy Spirit has given you everything necessary for godliness in life, Ephesians 1.3, and it's already there. It's not about trying to get something from God. It's about discovering what's already been planted in there. And that includes Holy Spirit ministry during evangelism. It's in there. It'll be unique for you. It's going to need to be developed. You're going to have to get comfortable with it, for sure, like anything else. If you were going to lead worship, you don't just the first time get up there and do worship and presence of God comes and people are blessed. No, you got to learn how to do it. You got to learn how to sing and make eye contact with people while you're playing your instrument. It takes time. And the same is true for evangelism. All the stuff is in there, but it does take time to develop it. It takes time to learn how do I experience God? What is an encounter like for me? And how can I give that same encounter to other people? What do you have that you can give? What is your encounter experience with Holy Spirit? Have you developed your understanding and using spiritual gifts? And he was talking about spiritual gifts recently. What are, which gifts really are you fluent in? Look, you can do all the gifts. We knew that, right? You, you, you all have Holy Spirit. You've all said yes to Jesus. Holy Spirit gives the gifts. They're all in there. Not if this makes any kind of sense or something. You've got it. It's all in there. It's just, thank you, Sarah. It's just a matter of discovering what they are and then developing our fluency in it. Well, that's probably a topic for another day. Have you developed your spiritual gifts, especially the ones that you're comfortable with and fit into the lifestyle and, and, and all of that that you have? What stories can you tell about Holy Spirit encounters? both stories that you've heard from other people and especially your own stories, because stories are the thing that will grab people's attention. They will listen to stories. When I talk about being healed from severe allergies to cats, people will listen to that. They aren't going to listen to me try to explain a Bible verse to them, but they'll listen to a story. You have Holy Spirit already. Holy Spirit gives the gifts, and they're inside you now. It's up to each one of us to just start developing the gifts. They can become a, an important part of your encounter evangelism toolkit. Which leads us to the third quality of biblical evangelism. The third quality is biblical evangelism is giving people an encounter with God. There are few people today that spend a lot of time wanting to debate theology. There are some, 
And if you find them and that's, that's your thing, go for it. If that's your thing, let me know and I'll send the people that want to debate theology, I'll send them to you because I'm, I'm not good at debating theology and it's not interesting to me. Biblical evangelism is giving people an encounter with God. Turn to Mark chapter 16. We're going to read verses 15 through 20. So we're going to look at Mark's version of Jesus' final words. Mark chapter 16, we're going to begin at verse 15. Okay, honest there, so we're ready to go. Mark 16, beginning at verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Go back and look at verse 17 for just a minute. First sentence. These signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe? I mean, really, do you believe? Do you believe that God wants you to do the stuff we just read about? It's fine for the famous people and the people that are on TV and conference speakers, but do you believe for you that God wants you and gives you empowerment by Holy Spirit to do this stuff? Do you believe enough to start actually doing the signs that accompany believers? Now, this isn't about condemnation. This is about being real with ourselves. When we haven't done it, we haven't been in an environment maybe that talks about it. We might not really believe it's for me. It's for somebody else. It's the people who know how to do it. It's not for me. Do you believe? These signs will follow those who believe. I don't know about you, but for me, it's been a lifelong journey to believe that those signs would accompany me. When I started out trying to do this, because that's what the book said to do, I was going, I don't know about this. I'm just not sure, God. It's been a while, decades that I've been doing this. 
And now I do have stories of signs and encounters. But I'll tell you what, I want more. Because encounters, God encounters, are addictive. You have those things start to happen. You go, man, I want more. Can't get enough of it. And they can happen almost anywhere. I don't think most of you have heard about this one. I try not to tell the same story again, because generally I remember stories because they're a teaching moment, not necessarily because I remember all of them. But I don't think very many of you have heard this one. Um, Mary's not on today. She's, she felt real, real tired. She's, a, she's been able to eat the last week. Thank you for those of you who are praying. She has been able to eat a lot better this week. She was just really tired today, so she's sleeping. But I did vet this story with her because it's one with her and I both. Um, Mary and I were able to go out to eat uh, on December 23rd last because that's our anniversary night. And she hadn't been feeling well, but for some reason, thank you, Jesus, she woke up and she felt really good. So we went to the keg because those of you who know Mary, she loves meat. And so we went to the keg to get a steak. And I was just, by the time I got her there and sat down, I'm just like, oh, thank you, God, she's doing okay. Well, our server walks up and she goes, hi. And Mary says, hey, what's your name? because that's how Mary does things when she's doing well. And, and the server said, well, my name is, you know, Alex or Allie or Xander or, you know, and she listed about six names. And I just sitting there and all of a sudden, I just get this sense that, hey, there's something about her name. So I'm just listening. And so Mary says hi, and we tell her we want you know, salad and bread or whatever it was we wanted. And, um, so I'm sitting there and I, and I said, God, what is it about this woman's name? And I felt like God said to me, her name is Alexandra. And she is destined to walk in the same kind of impact as Alexander the Great. I said, okay, well, if you make a place for me to talk about it, I'll do it. Um, Mary's and I have done this enough times together. She knows if I get something like this, she's going to be ready too. So... Our server comes back a time or two, and she came back and was kind of lingering for a minute uh, on one of the times. And so I said, hey, do you have like two minutes? Could I just ask you something? And she says, sure. And I said, your name is actually Alexandra, isn't it? And she goes, well, yeah. Um, I, I know I didn't say that because people never call me that. I said, well, your name is Alexandra, and you walk in the same kind of impact and anointing and heritage is Alexander the Great. You are a woman of influence. And I said a couple other things I don't remember. And I said, and it's going to impact your kids too, because that's really important for you. And even this job feels like you're being taken away from it, but you're going to impact your kids and they're going to walk in your destiny. Well, she kind of started at that. And so I said a couple other things and stopped and said, you know, and said, thank you. And she said, how did you know about my children? I didn't say I even had any children. So then Mary being ready to join in, she goes, that happened because God wanted you to know that he knows what's going on in your life. And that's why he told Rob that you, about your kids. And so you would just be impacted. And she starts crying. And I'm telling you, if you do encounters, you need to carry Kleenex. It's important because God touches people's hearts. So Mary shares with her about who Jesus is and how Jesus wants to help her in her life. 
And then she goes, well, th oh, I, I've got to get back to work. And so she goes back to work. Well, she comes back a little bit later and Mary had just gone to the washroom to wash her hands from all of the goodies she had and, you know, the cake and everything. And she said to me, I cannot tell you how much that meant to me. I've been so concerned about my kids and I've wondered about where my place is with God because I grew up in church and I'm not in church anymore. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. So that's awesome. Maybe go back to church, but when you get home tonight, just say a prayer to God. Just talk to him like you're talking to me. And she goes, I think I'm going to do that. I got to go find God again. You can do this stuff. The whole, time, the whole time with her didn't take more than about three or four minutes. What signs are following you? What signs do you want to follow you? I don't know about you, but I like the biblical kind of signs where you pray for somebody and they get healed or they pray for somebody and they encounter God. I'm not good at debate and religion. I don't want to talk somebody into following Jesus. I want somebody to go, I'll follow Jesus because I just encountered him. What do you need to do to start moving toward a Mark 16 evangelism lifestyle there's a number of things you can do but the most significant is to seek god's presence by increasing your quality time with god so that you can be at work or sitting in a restaurant or standing in line at the grocery store or wherever and god can say here's an opening somebody asks you a question and you can share in their book everyday supernatural the author said this to say, and I'm reading this one. When we talk about seeking God's presence, the authors wrote this, we simply mean we are seeking to be close to Jesus. Christianity is not complicated. It's not about rules. It's an invitation to have a relationship with God. God's power is never something he does from a distance. Did you get that? God's power is never something he sends to us from a distance. Miracles are not like a package from Amazon, arriving totally disconnected from the sender. If you stand next to a fire, you're going to be warm. If you jump in a pool, you're going to get wet. And in the same way, if you are close to the Lord, his power is going to be close to you. The power is in the presence. And when we seek to be close to God, the potential for the supernatural is all around us. End quote. Well, we're not going to do that story because we don't have time for that. Because see, my best thing is stories. What we share has more impact than any other thing we can do. So as I come to a close, I have this question. How often do you connect with God 
in a way that goes beyond asking for things. Asking for things is okay, but relationship becomes actual relating when we do more than just ask for stuff. Do you regularly experience God's presence? Would you say you're, you're close to God? Yeah, God and I have a close relationship. <laughs> is God close to you? Well, the answer is yes, but do you know that? Do you know how God feels about you? There's a question for you in your quiet time. God, how do you feel about me today? As the author said, when we seek to be close to God, the potential for supernatural is all around us. Functional Christian, for I'm so sorry, every Christian is an evangelist, functioning or not, because that's part of our job description that Jesus left us. What kind of an evangelist do you want to be? Functioning, maturing Christians regularly evangelize by giving people an experience with God's love, presence, and power. Father God, I thank you so much that you want to have relational connection with each one of us. And you want to do it way more than we want to do it with you. And God, I am confident that your desire for each person in City River is to have a lifestyle of encounter evangelism. That each one of us can give the people in our sphere of relationship as we are going a relational connection with you. God, we want stories. We want stories like the gospel, like the book of Acts, but we want them to be our stories. And God, I ask that you give us a heart of faith to believe, to believe that the Holy Spirit that you give to every person, these Holy Spirit encounters of healing and comfort and words of knowledge and hospitality with a purpose and deliverance, to believe for those kind of kingdom encounters for us. God, I ask that you'd give us wisdom to use our time wisely and to allocate time to be close to you so we can take that closeness and give it to other people. God, give us a willingness. Give us courage to choose to say, I want to have that kind of lifestyle. I want to have stories. God, do whatever it takes to bring Holy Spirit to the people in our lives. Help us to restore the good name of evangelism in the church by doing it effectively and with positive eternal outcomes. Thank you, God. I love you, Papa.